Okay, so if you um, saw the notices, read the notices, you'll see that I'm actually going to start talking uh, a series called Soul Life. Now, where does that come from? Well, originally, when you know we, we started looking forward to uh, when we might meet again physically, when that was on the horizon, I was I was thinking, well, what can you talk about when that's ahead? Things are, are changing. We we've got this this major uh, breakthrough, what, what can you talk about? And I had in mind that I, would, that I should really talk about something like, you know, lessons from lockdown or something like that. And then as I, took, as I kind of prayed that through and as I, and as I spoke to uh, the Holy Spirit about it, I kept thinking, well, you know, what is it that we have learned? What is it that, that has changed? And uh, so I want to take you on a little bit of a thought process of how we ended up with this title, Soul Life, instead of Lessons from Lockdown. Because what I, you know, what kind of jumped up to me in my excitement when we were going to be starting to meet again physically in, in, in Trumpington and get to start seeing people, get to start praying with people, get to start worshipping with people, all those good things. Is kind of like, well, this is over now, let's go get them, you know, let's, 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 you know, double our efforts, go and get things rolling in the kingdom, let's start moving and, and all that sort of stuff. And I, and I felt, well, I felt a real check about that. And that, that was strange, that was unexpected. You see, um, one, of, you know, one of the things that we, we've learned, I guess, in this lockdown time is we've learned to value the things that are important to us. And you know, there's certain things that, ha that the, the church has discovered that it can do and it can do well when, it, when it's not meeting. But there's also other things that are, are very difficult if you don't have social contact with people. For instance, soul women, uh, soul winning, not, not women, soul winning. <laughs> They're all laughing at me in here. Um, but soul winning. And, you know, when you don't see new people, when you don't have contact with people, it's very difficult to reach people. And there's kind of this idea that goes around, isn't there, that we, we've all heard, which is we're reaching millions, it's all going out on the internet, people are coming to Christ. And, and there have been a few, and there's been a few within our own body. But the reality is that is nowhere near even touching the effectiveness of one-to-one -one contact and one-to-one -one interaction. So there's certain things that, that don't work very well if you can't meet. Being a family that walks things out together is, is more difficult when you can't meet physically. And so there's, there's been this kind of, I guess how, how to express it, it's desire, well, you know, let's not go back to church as normal. Let, let's, let's do something different. And, and that raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Like, it's okay to say, well, let's do something different, but what should we do different? And that's why we sent the, the, the survey out. And one of the real things that came out of that survey, you know, I've probably mentioned this before, is that the real priority for you guys was getting together again and meeting each other and, and, and walking stuff out as a family. And so that, that becomes possible from next week and, and, and we go forward from there. But we're still left with kind of difficult questions that really go to the heart of what actually makes a great church what makes a good church what makes a good church family what should a church look like after lockdown and uh, 
you know, is, is it size that makes a great church? Is it having lots of finances, you know, really healthy finances? Does that make us a great church? Is it the ability to do everything? Because I think one of the things we discovered on that from that survey is that everybody would like us to do everything that they could possibly dream of. Uh, but then the question comes, how do you do that? Because you need to think differently about what church really means. Let, let me explain that. For instance, if, um, if, if, if a church took on doing all the things that were on that list, then it would need hundreds of staff and it would mean millions of pounds in finances to pay for those staff. So if we just say, okay, well, the church needs to do this without our personal involvement, without thinking differently about what church is, we end up with a concept that basically says there's one big church with millions of pounds in every town in the UK and everybody should be part of that because that's the only church that's capable of doing everything. Now, the question then is, is that really what makes a great church? Is that really what we want? And I guess you're already answering that question in your head. And, and that, that, made, that got me really seriously spending time with the Holy Spirit. And he, you know, he started talking to me about whilst a church is a family that walks out life together, the kingdom is lived out by individuals. The kingdom is lived out by individuals. That's why Jesus says where there's two or three gathered together, that's church. And Paul talks together, doesn't he? He talks about bearing one another's burdens, but he also talks about bearing our own burdens. And he, and he actually says that in a space of two or three verses. And that, that really raises this question that is our picture of a church doing all these things organised by some central professionals, is that really what the Holy Spirit intended for our generation or the question I was asking myself is have what we've done is actually respect replaced the Holy Spirit working through individual believers with an organization that's a, recu a recruiter to a social services business that needs huge mountains of resources huge mountains of time professionals doing everything and and, and it's, its focus is primarily on raising the money to fund that paid stuff. Is that what church is about? And I'm saying all that because it's actually, I, I believe that there's a real desire inside all of us to see something different as we come out of lockdown, but we just really don't know what that is. We don't, we don't know what that feels, what that looks like and, and how we do it. And one of the things I, I, I think that we've been really challenged with is what does our relationship look like with God when we can't depend on an organisation to put on meetings? What does our relationship with God look like when we can't depend on an organisation to put on meetings? And I believe that's the big question that God's been asking us through the last 14 months. What is your relationship really like with me? And from that, here's the question. And I think this is uh, uh, just the heart of the matter. Is it a healthy church that matters, as in an organisation? Or is it healthy people that matter? Is it a healthy church that matters? 
as the, as the organising, or is it healthy people that matter? What if the problem that God is trying to speak to us to, about through these last 14 months isn't a structure or a church model? What if it's you and me? What if it's him wanting to do something in us? Not just come up with some new model of church or new way of doing church, but what if it's us? What if it's us that, that he wants to affect? What if it's us that he wants to grab hold of? And as I was praying this through, the Holy Spirit reminded me of uh, an article that I wrote uh, just before uh, we went into lockdown. And it was talking about some recent trends that are emerging in, in, in large churches uh, and in the kind of church world uh, originating in the US, but the, the UK and other countries were, were kind of following in these trends and they, they were particularly challenging. So I'm just going to um, read you a little bit from, from that article or at least tell you what it said. And uh, this, this, is, this is a quote from the, the guys that did these researches. And, it, and what the, 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 the headline that they were putting out there is what is needed for our generation is not bigger churches, but authentic churches of whatever size. And they, they were talking about how the, the generations that we've been trying to, to meet have actually shifted in their priorities. And what their priority is, is authenticity. And it's authenticity that is attracting that younger generation, the, the next generation of people coming to the church. And they, they, widely in this context, there's a book uh, by a couple of authors called Gilmore and Pine, their researchers, and the book's just called Authenticity. And the conclusions of that, that, he, that is that uh, young people instead, of, this is a general trend within society that the church is just reflecting, is that instead of searching for high quality goods and services or buying experiences on the basis of glitz, which is what people have been doing in, in, the, in the, the last decade, people are increasingly making their purchases on the criteria of how real or fake they perceive what is being offered to be. And uh, I think that that research kind of illustrates to us a truth that our churches need to be authentic. We need to be real. We, we need to be non-manipulative. We need to be non-focused on some organisational corporate goal. We need to be genuine. We need to be open. We need to be real people. Places where people can be open about their issues, uh, open about their problems, uh, where we can be vulnerable, where we can grow, where there's real connection, where there's real uh, relationships, uh, and, and where we help people to break through the stuff that's just holding them back. Um, and what, what's happening is that that trend in society is getting reflected in church. Now, there's another book that gets quoted in these, and it's a book by an author called Ed Stetson. He wrote a book uh, two, three years ago now called The Younger Unchurched, well, it's called Lost and Found, The Younger Unchurched and Churches That Reach Them. And what he concludes in this book, I found really interesting uh, challenging but also really exciting because what he concludes is this and I'll, I'll quote him 100% of churches we interviewed 
That's 100% churches we interviewed and that are effective at reaching young people hold authenticity and being real as their highest value. And they've made a commitment to being authentic and real and moved away from what they were previously doing. And that's so powerful, isn't it? That's so powerful. And I think what we, what, what God is saying to us is that, you know, when we talk about fruitfulness, when we talk about what is church there for, what, what we talk about when, what we hear for as individual believers, is our fruitfulness, is our success, is our, uh, you know, what we're doing in living our Christian life, is that fruitfulness measured by what we are doing or is it measured by who people are becoming? And that's such an important question for us right now, isn't it? Are we just about doing or is there something deeper we should be aiming for beyond the doing, which is what are we becoming as people? And that, you know, I, I think I've talked quite a bit about this in, in that, the, the last series I did about good news for bad times, in that what's really helped people, the people that we've, within our own church family and the other churches that we help and are involved in, what's really been clear is that those who've come through this strong, those who've, who, who've been able to be stable in this, those who've retained their joy, and those who were healthy inside when the world outside was unhealthy. So the, the, the key was, you know, are you healthy in here so you can be whole out there no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on? And so I want to talk to you in terms of what people have dubbed the Great Reset and, and say what God told me or has said to me, I believe he said to me, about that uh, Great Reset. Now, here's what I want to make clear first. When I talk about doing versus or, or becoming, they are not uh, completely uh, exclusive. You know, it's not one or the other. God is deeply interested in our doings. The, the, the answer to this is not nothing. The answer to this is not inactivity. God is deeply interested in doings, but he's primarily after our hearts. And, you know, one of the, 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 the kind of novel things, which I didn't know, but I discovered when I was looking at all this, is what was did people see their role as in church maybe 100, 200, 300 years ago and so on? And, and there was this, this, this uh, um, just overwhelming job description or idea that ministers, vicars, pastors, whatever, they had a particular uh, goal. And that goal was to cure people's souls. Now, that's where we get our word cure it from, because they were supposed to be the person who, who was looking after people and was curing people's souls. In other words helping people be healthy inside when things around them were unhealthy outside. And I think, you know, more than anything, more than church models, different ways of doing church, what, all those sort of things, I think the thing that we all long for is just a simple, real faith lived out that gives us peace inside. 
a simple, real faith lived out that gives us peace inside. And, and God gave me what I believe is a word for us, which is the aim is not to build bigger, better church. The aim is to build bigger, better people. Not to build bigger, better church, but build bigger, better people. And I think if we put that in context, we can start to see what he's been trying to teach us in, in this last 14 months. So I want you to go with me to a passage, uh, third, uh, third letter of John, little tiny letter at the back of your Bible, third letter of John, uh, verse 2. There's no chapter because there only is one chapter in John. So it's third letter of John, chapter 2. And it's a well-known verse, I think. Um, and it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So the Apostle John, given all the things he could pray about, this is the thing he's praying for the people he's writing to. Above all things that you might prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. And that's, that's so powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful for us to kind of focus on what is God's goal in this? God didn't come to build an organisation. God came to redeem souls. He came to redeem lives. He came to change lives. He came after people's hearts. And... Uh, you know, when we, when we read a verse like that, we, we immediately hit on that word, prospering. And uh, what does it mean to prosper? Because it, it, it's so easy to think of that in pure monetary terms, isn't it? Because we, we are so acclimatised to the way people think and, and, and the, the culture of the world that whenever we use the word prosper, we think money. And it includes money. I have to say that it does include our finances. But this prospering, it's whole soul prosperity. And, and so it includes you know, prospering in your soul, prospering in your body, prospering in your health, prospering in your finances, your relationships going well, having hope, having a, a, a joyful attitude, being able to face things, being able to be steady, being able to be strong. That's a prosperous soul. And that's, that's what John was praying for these people to have, this prosperous soul. And I think that tells us a lot about God's heart towards us, that God wants us whole, he wants us healthy, he wants bigger, better people inside. He wants us to be healthy in here so that we can be whole out there. And uh, it uses this word that you might prosper in all things, being healthy, just as or even as your soul prospers. So it's not one or the other. The two go hand in hand. It's at the prospering of our soul that enables us to have the prosperity uh, of, of all, in all those other areas of our life and to be in health. And that word even as, it means, uh, if you translated the, the original language, it means according to the manner of, to the degree that, or corresponding fully or exactly. And that is just so powerful because what it's saying is only to the extent your soul life is right will you see the rest of your life be right. You can try and fix everything, but the thing you've got to fix, the thing you've got to have strong, the thing that you've got to have healthy is your soul life. 
And that, that's so powerful, isn't it? And it's something that we really have lost a, a, a sight of when we measure success, when we measure the effect of our life, when we measure how well we're doing. And that's why when, when things change, when things are challenging, inside it is just so difficult because our soul life needs a bit of care. Our soul life needs a bit of work. Our soul life needs a bit of strengthening. Our soul life needs a bit of prospering. And, and so the, the, our, our prosperity, our health, our, our joy in life, our hope and everything is linked to the health of our soul. And that's why soul prosperity or soul life is so important. And that's why it's so important for us as a church and us as a body. And that's why, you know, Cubits got called Curers of Souls. That's what it was about. It was about getting our soul life right so that we could be healthy in all the other areas of our life, despite or whatever was going on in, around in the world. So... That enables us, doesn't it, to, if, if things aren't quite like that, that enables us to say, okay, where's the problem? Well, the problem then becomes easily locatable. The problem is our soul life, the well of our soul, needs some help. And, and so we, we're looking at, you know, when we, when we think about that, it means that um, keeping our soul, making sure our soul is getting and staying in sync with our born-again spirit and staying in sync with what uh, God is speaking to us is so important. And it, it reminded me, and it's kind of a little bit of a play on words, but where did the problem start? The problem started when Adam exalted his own desires, his own will, his own soul above the will of God. And that that fall that that decision by adam that 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 uh issue that, that arose when he fell has affected all of us and so that that walking in the flesh that that uh not not having that sink between our soul and and the spirit of god that gives us a problem and and that fall of adam creates a dam that stops the flow of life in our life. The fall of Adam creates a dam that stops the flow of life in our life. And, and you know, that, that, gives, that, that raises a question. So <clears throat> I'll try and help you a bit with, with how, how this was shown to me and um, how we can, we can picture this. But if you just think, well, what, what would it look like if, what would a soul that is dammed up, that's cluttered, that's silted up, not kept, not, not looked after, what would it look like? And I, and I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, how, how can I, I kind of explain that to you? And uh, one of the things that, that happened uh, right at the start of this, well, as, as we were coming into spring, is we started, well, Shovel told kicked me out of the house and said, start sorting the garden out. So I've been out there trying to sort the garden out, and one of the, the things that happened is that our water feature didn't work anymore. And the, the, there was a reason why our water filter didn't work, is it hadn't been looked after over the winter. And one of the, well, basically, it, it, birds really liked our water filter, so they used to come and sit on it. 
and they used to drink the water and flap about in it and make themselves, you know, clean. But the, the downside of that is that they used to poo into the water filter, into, into the fountain, and that all used to go down. And birds have these, like, little stones and little berry seeds and all sorts of things, and these had got sucked in uh, into the, the pump underneath the water feature, and it had broke the pump. And, and, and just nothing was happening. So the whole thing turned green, the whole thing turned smelly, and it was horrible. And, uh, and that's what happens in our soul if we don't look after it, if we, if we don't care for it. If, if our soul isn't healthy, that's the sort of thing that starts to happen to it. So we, we, we pursue all these things in our life and all these things that we think we need and all these things that we think are important and, and, and we postpone and we postpone and we postpone looking after our soul and getting our sink, soul in sync with the Spirit of God. And we are made to be in sync with the Spirit of God, but we neglect, when we neglect that, it causes all this other stuff in our life. And internally, we go green and smelly, and we think, and we just say, I've just had enough, I've just had enough. Or we, we, we really struggle to deal with things when, when life throws stuff at, stuff at us. Um, there's a really uh, powerful quote I remember from a writer that I read, and he's had a, a big impact on my life over the last five or six years. Uh, a writer who's better known for his book, The Divine Conspiracy. But this comes from a, another book he wrote called The Renovation of the Heart. And it's uh, by a, a, a man who's no longer with us. He's gone to be with the Lord called Dallas Willard. And uh, he says this, Our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength, direction and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do. Because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness and presence of God and his kingdom. Including nature and all else, we, all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. And that's such a powerful picture, isn't it? That's such a powerful picture of why it's so important that our soul life is, is right. So let's just go back to the, those verses. To find that flow of life, we've basically got to keep or look after or guard our souls. Um, you know, when it talks about uh, keeping or guarding over your souls, Proverbs talks about uh, uh, guarding our souls because out of them flow the issues of life. When we talk about... Uh, that keeping it means that we that words the words translated there means to watch over be careful over diligently care for maintaining good condition protect and tend and you know when we find that we're not prospering inside and we're not as a result prospering outside when we are overwhelmed when we find in stuff difficult when we're not things haven't been stable for us, when we find ourselves that we're unhealthy inside because we're affecting the unhealthiness around us, it's because we've created that dam, we've created, we've let that stuff build up, we've let the, the poo get into the mechanism, the stones get into the mechanism, the pump of life around our life is broken. And so what do we do? What do we do? And and this is kind of where I'm going with this, this, this little series and that it, it, it may be that God's got more to say to us than, than, than he's already shown me. Uh, 
But to keep our souls in the right place, we need to use the right tools. So we've got to clean up that floor, we've got to make sure the pump's healthy and all the rest of it. But we also need to be aware that the enemy is sending the poo that comes along that is trying to mess, us, mess, up, mess that up. And then we also need to be aware that our own actions come into the equation as well. So it's kind of this introductory kind of scene setting and why I'm talking about this. I just want to explore those three areas now. So the first one, you know, actions. How, how do actions matter? Well, remember I said that God is interested in our doing, but he's primarily after our hearts. And when I'm talking about actions here, I'm not talking about us doing more to make things happen externally. I'm actually talking about us taking some time to fix what needs fixing inside. And uh, th there's another quote, it, it came from Dallas, again from Dallas Willard, but it kind of became really popular over the last 18 months because somebody wrote a book with the title uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But it actually came, that phrase came from Dallas Willard. And here's something that he said around that. Hurry is the great enemy of souls in our day. Being busy is mostly a condition of the outer world. It is having many things to do. Being hurried is a problem of the soul. It's being so preoccupied with myself and what myself has to do that I am no longer able to be fully present with God or fully present with others. There is no way a soul can thrive when it is hurried and nobody will come along and unhurry your soul for you. And that is just such a, a powerful truth. It, it's something that I've been trying to put in practice in my, in my life um, for the last three or four years and some people say well Mark seems a lot slower than he used to be. Well, partly that would be age, but it's partly because this is what I'm practicing, because I realise that you can't be healthy out there if you're not healthy in here. And, and to be healthy in here, you've got to find a way of being more present with God and more present with others. So we have to eliminate that internal hurry, that internal business. We can't do anything about the business around us, but we can eliminate the hurry inside of us you know you can be busy outside but unhurried inside and that is just a, a massive thing that I, I've learned and I'm going to unpack over the next two or three weeks about how that works and, and what that looks like but the second thing is to realize that there there's not just us in the equation there's an enemy as well and the enemy because he wants to get your heart, because he wants you not to be present with God, because he wants you not connected with God, when he, because he wants you out of sync with, this, with the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he piles stuff up, and he piles stuff up, and he piles stuff up. And that's probably what some of us, if not all of us, have experienced at some point over the last 14 months. That stuff is just piled up and piled up, and, it, and when you thought it couldn't get any more, there's another thing comes along. And the enemy's just throwing stuff after us and throwing stuff after us because he's recognised that this is a really good time 
to steal people's hearts and get them out of sync with, with, with the Spirit of God. And so he's active in this too, and, and we'll, we'll unpack a little bit of that as well in, in, in the next few weeks. But here's the third um, point that I want to make. We have to have a tool that he's going to put that right. Again, let me, let me, it's my final quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, the indispensable first step to caring for the soul is to place it with God. The indispensable first step of caring for the soul is to place it with God. Jesus talks about that, doesn't he? Let's, let's just quickly go over to Matthew chapter 11 and uh, see, see what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Life without time with God, without time with the Spirit, without time with that divine connection, will wear you out. And, and it will overwhelm you. And if that's what you've been experiencing, and, and, and that's a real sure sign that we need to use this tool of um, creating time that we are with God. What it's saying, and if we go back to that, you know, those, those verses in, in John, just to remind us, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. What it's saying is this, your soul has to have rest with God in order to prosper. Because your soul needs health. Your soul needs caring for. And when we allow our souls to become just weighed down with pressure, weighed down with events, weighed down with stress, anxious, the cares of the world, then we're not in that place of rest. An unrested soul, a soul that is not with God, is not a prosperous soul. And the antidote is to come to Jesus and cast your cares over to him. And, and I talked about that, didn't I, in the, in the last of the, the, the talks that I did on Peter about casting our cares on God. So you might at this stage want to go back, have a re-listen to that one, because it's really important that we understand that and, and, and realise that we are not meant to carry everything in life on our own. We are meant to carry it yoke to Jesus and with him carrying the weight of it. And when we try and carry everything and, and, and we neglect our soul life and we neglect meeting together and we neglect all these sort of things thinking I'm too busy, I've got other priorities so I can't be bothered. Our soul life gets in a mess. It gets tired, it gets worn down, it gets anxious, it lacks hope, it lacks joy. And life just gets to us. So soul life is so important. And um, I'll, I'll just go back to, to that passage in, in Matthew. Because Jesus is saying in that passage that the primary cause of people failing to find rest for their souls is due to carrying yokes and burdens that they are not meant to carry alone. And, and you know, we do all that sort of stuff, don't we? We take on all sorts of commitments for fear that 
Others would uh, be critical of us or won't accept us or we won't be liked. Or we take on, we just keep taking on more and more thinking, you know, I've got to get on with my career. I've got to do this. I've got to succeed by the time I'm 40. I've got to succeed by the time I'm 50. And now I'm 50, I've got to think about retirement and I've got to accumulate this and pay off my mortgage before I retire. And then, then I've got all these years ahead of me and then I die. And, and we go through life so much like that and we live decade after decade with these unhealthy souls because that's the thing that has run our life instead of our life being connected with God and letting him carry the weight of some of it. If you want your soul to prosper, if you want healthy soul life, you have to spend time and be with Jesus. You've got to cast your cares upon him. How does it work? It works like this. As you spend time with Jesus, you find out specifically what he's given you to do. And then you find out specifically how he's going to help you do it. And everything else needs to fall away. Because your soul is too precious to leave. Your soul, we ask it to carry so much that it is not, it is too small and not strong enough to carry. The remedy is being with Jesus. So I just want to pray for you. I'm going to unpack that over the next few weeks, but I just want to pray for you right now. Father, You've shared with us this morning about your love for us, about your desire to see us prosper even as our soul prospers and that the need for our hearts to be healthy is our number one priority. So Lord, in this great reset, help us to remember, or just help us to realise that this thing has been about you loving us, getting hold, wanting to get hold of our hearts. It's not about all the stuff, all the, 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 the organisation, all the rest of it. It's about returning to a simplicity. Just a simple, authentic life lived out, connected to you. Help me to work through that, Lord. Help me to see it. Help me to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks unpacking this. Um, I think it's really important that our souls are healthy. Um, out of our heart comes the issues of life. And so I think this is going to be a really good thing to look at uh, as we delve deeper. And um, I was just looking at 3 John as Mark was talking about it. And uh, from verse 11, he's talking about uh, Diotrephes who have been doing some not very nice things. And Paul, um, John says, uh, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And that's what you've been saying, isn't it? That when we want to 
do good, when we want our souls to be healthy so that out of our souls um, the spirit can flow and as we connect with God we will be able to do the things that he wants us to do in the way that he wants us to do it. Time with him and then goodness overflowing. So yeah. it's going to be a good few weeks. The little bit I did just want to say though as we end is uh, the bottom of three, John. This did make me smile as we're looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Uh, in the flesh, um, John says, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. So we have done enough as talking to you guys through the camera. Uh, we so look forward to seeing you face to face. Amen. Amen. Have Amen. a great week. Have um, a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. Be blessed. See you next week.